Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. The social cost of carbon is a wonky metric that at its core is just a dollar value. But in the policy world, it's really, really important. It estimates the economic impact of adding one ton of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And right now, the Biden administration has set it at $51, and that could potentially quadruple in the near future. But that metric has become the focus of Republicans, who are set on derailing the Biden administration's climate agenda. You know, many Republicans and fossil fuel producers are trying to stop President Biden from raining in greenhouse gases. And to do that right now, attacking the social cost of carbon in court makes a lot of sense. Attacking that metric in the courts makes sense because there's no constitutional mandate for federal agencies to calculate the social cost of carbon. And suing over the metric makes sense from a political perspective for the GOP. For Republicans, they've long been critical of the administrative state. And so this dovetails pretty well with their longstanding criticisms of regulatory overreach. So today, Politico's Alex Guillen talks about how a wonky metric became such a contentious issue. It's Thursday, April 21st. So Alex, how did the social cost of carbon become such a political flashpoint? I think it's largely related to the fact that we're in this position now where It's clear that any major climate action in the foreseeable future is going to be happening via the executive branch, via rulemakings primarily. There was a lot of high hopes that Congress could pass some big stuff. And the big infrastructure bill last year included, you know, a few goodies like EV charging, that kind of things. But it didn't really do a whole lot on bigger climate issues, to be honest. And then, of course, the reconciliation bill is still dead in the water, it seems. Even before it was dead in the water, key parts have been stripped out. So... This is all coming about because if you're a Republican attorney general in a red state, you want to stop the Biden administration's climate agenda. Going after them in court is going to be a key way to do that. And the social cost of carbon is an important part of a lot of those rulemakings. Yeah, and we've seen different administrations set the social cost of carbon differently. So how does the federal government actually go about setting it and using the social cost of carbon in its rulemaking? Yeah, well, step one is they gather a lot of people who have really deep understandings in two areas, climate science and especially climate forecasting and economics. And so they try to estimate what the future costs of climate change are and then what the future benefits of stopping pollution now are and wrap that all up. The goal is to sort of spit out a few numbers or really even one big number they can slap on and say, this is what the benefit of not emitting a ton of carbon dioxide is today. And so it is kind of this bureaucratic, really wonky process. It's run by a bunch of different agencies that contribute out of the White House. And Biden has convened a new working group to really update the figure because both climate science and economic forecasting have come really far in the last 10 years. So they're hoping to get a more accurate number Coincidentally, it looks like one that would be much higher than it is right now. Yeah. Why is the metric so important, in particular, to the success of Biden's climate agenda? You did discuss how his 
legislative agenda is in flux and they have a very ambitious regulatory agenda. So is it just that he's just trying to do so much here that he really needs this social cost of carbon to justify what they're trying to do? Yeah, that's a large part of it. Any regulation the EPA does, period, and in particular, anyone that touches on greenhouse gases is very likely to face some kind of litigation. As you know, of course, EPA's authority over power plants is under review by the Supreme Court right now. We'll have a ruling on that soon. They're planning big rules for vehicles. They're planning big rules for the oil and gas industry, probably more industries in the future. Each of those regulations at EPA does depend on, they figure out what they can do within statutory authorities, they, then they go and analyze the rule. And it does really help in court if they can defend it by saying it has huge, huge benefits compared to whatever the compliance costs are. And so the larger the social cost number is, the easier it is to sort of be able to point to that and say that. As we also learned recently, the social cost is used in all kinds of other things. There's a pretty wide variety of usages there. It's not necessarily just in the regulatory sphere, but that is where it's going to be, I think, really key in the coming years. For sure. And, and how are red states trying to restrain the Biden administration's use of the social cost of carbon? You touched on this earlier, but if you can get more specific and also letting our listeners know the status of litigation over the metric. Yeah, absolutely. So Last year, two lawsuits were filed by red states. One was led by Missouri, and it was tossed out pretty quickly because they said the states weren't harmed by the social cost. And that's on appeal right now. And that was sort of the expected outcome. And then the other lawsuit was led by Louisiana. That one sort of very surprisingly kind of won in district court. And they got a, a judge there who had been appointed by Donald Trump to issue a nationwide injunction against the social cost of carbon. And so... It led to the Biden administration. They appealed that last month. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals took up the issue. They stayed that injunction, so they effectively sort of reinstated the social cost of carbon. Louisiana appealed to the full Fifth Circuit, and none of the judges there wanted to vote any differently. <laughs> so they're now appealing to the Supreme Court, or they're planning to appeal to the Supreme Court. Once an application is made, it'll take them probably a few weeks to a month to handle. So you're looking at a decision in the coming months rather than, you know, the Supreme Court sometimes it takes a year or more for decisions to come. So it's, it's a more of a near-term situation. Also, the Interior Department believes the federal government will almost double its current renewable energy capacity on public lands by the end of September 2023. That's what the department said on Wednesday projecting it will add more than 11 gigawatts of onshore solar, wind, and geothermal energy capacity by then. The announcement comes as the Biden administration aims to permit 25 gigawatts of onshore renewable energy on public lands by 2025. Interior on Wednesday also proposed changes to transmission routes, in part to better connect renewable resources to the grid. However, the department said that it needs to boost staffing to improve permitting coordination. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. 
Because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lower carbon.